It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning and welcome to the Michael Reed Show with me, Carl Dervin. Coming up this morning, if you're in Dunboyne and parking your car at the train station, as and from next week, you will be charged for this, a return to charges which disappeared four years ago. We'll be getting the latest on that story from Dunboyne. We'll be getting an update on the papal visit and the views of the one in four group with their executive director, Maeve Lewis. Jerry O'Connor and Casey O'Reardon will talk to us about the presidential election candidates who presented their case to Meath County Council yesterday afternoon. And Ronan Moore, General election candidate for the Social Democrats in Meath West will give us the details of a survey which they carried out recently in Navantown at Lumley and Johnstown and some interesting things came out of that. We're going to begin this morning though with a subject that is close to very many hearts in this part of the country and indeed all across Ireland as school children go back to school for the new term. Marcella Stakem is the policy officer with St Vincent de Paul. Good morning to you Marcella. Good morning. A problem this year, Marcella, has developed and you've, you've had a number of calls on this issue in the St Vincent de Paul with a delay in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance payments. Can you bring us up to date on this, please, Marcella? Yes. Um, so what we have seen in St Vincent de Paul, we've actually had a, a 20% increase um, from this time last year in calls. So last year we had roughly about 5,000 calls and that, that has increased to over 6,000 this year. And we do expect that to continue over the next couple of weeks. Um, one of the reasons we do think there has been um, a considerable increase in calls has been uh, due to the delay in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. And this payment, it's a, it's a mean te- means-tested payment, but many um, families automatically get the payment. But what we're hearing from families is some families have had to reapply or many fam- some families have been new into the scheme and they've had to apply for the very first time. Um, so we have been in, in contact with the department and they said that they are um, currently working on applications for mid-July. But what this has meant is, like some parents, um, they will not receive the payment before their children go back to school. Um, so this is very worrying for, for families um, that are reliant on that payment. Um, our figures from the department show that 151,000 families received this payment last year. And I suppose that figure kind of gives you some indication of the amount of families that are reliant um, on this on this payment to cover costs um, for returning to school, like such as school uniforms and school books and shoes and and the, the, the voluntary contributions. 
And Marcella, is it not a little bit Irish that it's called the back to school payment and yet the department hasn't been able to process it? Yeah, it, it's. I suppose it's just very worrying for the families that we would um, work with. Many of the families that we work with are, are low income families, so they would either be in low paid employment or they would be reliant on on social welfare. And this payment, they really would budget it, you know, into their into their income that they they need it. Um, it's not a, a payment that they they can. Um, say that they don't need or that they, they won't be using straight away so they really are relying on it and they're you know expecting it to, to come before um, well before the start of the, the school term so that they could budget it mm. and, and budget their, their income um, accordingly like so to be, to be fair yeah. to them to be fair to them they're expecting the back to school allowance to mean just that and to be paid in time for the before the kids go back to school because I'm presuming the schools the schools aren't going to turn around and say you haven't got your uniform or you haven't got your books and, and the poor child isn't going to turn around and say well listen we didn't get the, the back to school allowance no, no. You know, we want our schools to educate our children. Um, that's that's what they're there for, and they do a really good job. So, um, no, I suppose we don't want the schools to be, um, you know, looking about the or asking mm. about the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. What, what we really want our our schools to be doing is educating our children. What sort of reaction have you had from the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection, who oversee this payment? Um, I suppose the department have been very apologetic. About apologetic, to be fair, um, they have said just the the, the levels of people re- uh, looking for the payment um, has been considerable. Um, I suppose what we're really on the side of, and we're really fearful and concerned for our our families that we work with that are reliant on this payment. So uh, while we can see, you know, the considerable pressure um, the department is under, we also see the other side of that pressure. Um, for families that, you know, there's considerable stress, there's considerable financial stress on families um, and they are really, you know, really, really relying on this payment. And of course, it's not cheap to send kids back to school anymore, is it? No, and uh, like the, the back to school clothing and footwear allowance by no means and that is, of course, Marcella Staken. We'll do our best now to get Marcella back on the line very quickly. We're also going to talk in a couple of minutes to local deputy Declan Branlock, the Fianna Fáil TD for Loud, who has also brought this matter to our attention. And Declan will have very much on the ground uh, reaction to this story. We're also going to talk, by the way, to Declan about proposals to merge Fianna Fáil with the SDLP up in the north. Uh, and perhaps that will bring to life Michal Martin's pledge a couple of years ago that Fianna Fáil would run candidates in elections in Northern Ireland. If you'd like to make contact with us, our text number is 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. It's also our WhatsApp number. We're also available, of course, across Twitter at LMFM Radio is our Twitter handle and across Facebook if you would like to make a comment. And I'm delighted to say that we have restored our line with Marcella. Marcella, welcome back. Yeah, hello. Sorry about <laughs> Sorry, that. No problem. In terms of the cost of, of back to school, I mean, e- even, even with the allowance, this still doesn't cover the full cost, does it? means it doesn't as I say in um, the primary school payment for the, the back to school payment for primary school students is 125 euro and then for a secondary school student it's um, 50 euro but that really doesn't cover um, everything when you include school books mm-hmm. school uniforms voluntary contributions um, no. and all the, the different things that are um, are there you know to, for a child to go back to 
Now, in the Vincent de Paul, as you said, the 20% increase in calls for, for help with back-to-school costs this year, 6000 you expect by the end of this week. And as you said earlier, Marcel, that figure is going to rise. You are going to meet the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Education and Skills this week to outline proposals for a funding me- method that will be reflective of the cost of providing free, universal and quality education. What's that meeting going to entail? Yeah, so as um, other voluntary and statutory organisations. And we're just going to go very quickly to Declan Brannock, who's a Fianna Fáil TD for Loud uh, and East Mead. Declan, good morning to you. Good morning, Carla. As we've heard there from the St Vincent de Paul, Declan, there's a problem this year with the back-to-school payment. What are you hearing from constituents? Um, we flagged this very early on in, in July, the number of people making contact with my office who were experiencing difficulty uh, with not receiving the payment. Um, and I, I should say, state that this did happen previously back in 2011. We had the same difficulty where people weren't paid until the end of September. It's totally unacceptable. Uh, the uh, department are aware that there are difficulties with the scheme and they should have had the additional staff in place uh, on a temporary basis to deal with it. It's unacceptable. We all know the high costs of, of uh, children returning to school. And as Marcella outlined uh, to you, uh, the Vincent de Paul are clearly experiencing the same issue uh, that my office is experiencing, indeed other TDs right across the country. Um, uh, it's an essential payment, particularly to... Uh, families who are depending on uh, social welfare and not 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 just social welfare, but indeed uh, where going back to school is 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 uh, as difficult as Christmas can be for 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 people uh, who are on the margins. It's not acceptable, and uh, the minister needs to step up to the plate and get the payments made to people. I, I think it's also important, Carl, to point out that the scheme doesn't actually close until the end of September. So anybody out there. Uh, the eligibility is available online or through my office or, 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 or through uh, uh, um, Vince de Paul or indeed uh, through citizen information. Uh, to anybody who has not been in receipt of it, needs to, uh, prior to, you know, if it's a new application or your family hasn't been in receipt of it, uh, needs to make a formal application. And it's open until uh, the 30th of September. So anybody who hasn't made an application uh, needs to uh, avail of the scheme uh, if they qualify. Uh, Declan, I'm, 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 struggling, I'm struggling to understand one thing here. This is a back-to-school allowance. Yep. The kids went back to school already this week or are going back to school this week. Yep. Yet, yet uh, the department has not made provision to make these payments, which I'm presuming the people who need these payments don't have cash in hand, don't have disposable income, that they can afford to buy these things. So why wasn't this paid in July or in June? It was supposed to be paid uh, between the 9th and the 13th of July, uh, uh, and you're absolutely correct. It is a back-to-school allowance. Uh, families have to provide footwear, have to provide for books, have to provide for uh, uniforms. Uh, I've, I've been through it both as a, a teacher, uh, seeing families uh, struggle, uh, uh, particularly when there are more than one child. Which, know, which, has to be, which has to be embarrassing for the kids when they go to school. Absolutely. Not acceptable uh, uh, under any circumstances. As I said at the outset, this happened uh, in, in... There were 275,000 children uh, availed of this last year, and we have to commend the scheme, but uh, we have to condemn uh, where the department, through inefficiency and failing to, to, to meet its targets, uh, where, where, where families... Uh, 
particularly those who are new applicants, have not received uh, even acknowledgement uh, uh, that, their, uh, that their applications have been processed. And according, according to your own press release, the department has shut down its phones. Absolutely, hence, hence the pressure is coming on Vincent de Paul, as Marcella has said, or indeed uh, constituency offices of TDs and, and, and local councillors, uh, where families are uh, at a crucial uh, time in, in need of these monies to pay for the children, as you say. Who and again, just, back at just to put this in context, this is not a huge amount of money per, per child. It's €125 Euro for children in primary school age and 250 for secondary. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's available up to the age of 22, providing the person is in a full recognised school. It's interesting that the figure is €125 Euro for 4 to 11 years old, and it's 250 for uh, 12 to 22 years of age. But uh, it's interesting, Carl, and we maybe need to remind uh, ourselves that uh, this is quite a reduced figure, because back in 2011, uh, indeed, it was uh, €200 Euro from Euros and 305 euros uh, for 12 to 22 euros. So uh, the, the scheme in terms of the amount available has significantly reduced. But be that as it may, and much and all as I would like to see it uh, brought up back to the, at least the levels of 2011, uh, of 2011, it's important to point out that uh, it's an essential scheme at a crucial time uh, at the start of the year and paying it uh, in September uh, when people have already had to stretch themselves either with loans or credit union facilities uh, in, in order to make sure that the children present properly uh, at either the primary or secondary or the third level. And of course, capitation grants to schools have been cut as well going back to 2010. Uh, uh, again, um, I've always said uh, uh, investment in our primary sector uh, and you know the, the concept of free education doesn't really exist in Ireland, um, you know, because parents are constantly been asked to step up to the mark. Uh, as was the case when, when in my previous occupation as a teacher, mm. you were constantly, constantly trying to cover your insurance costs by getting parents to make contributions. So, look at for, uh, free education uh, uh, is a myth uh, in this country. Does this, does this uh, assistance make any provision for those parents who have kids in transition year? Because transition year, which is a relatively new addition to the school landscape, it's probably what ten years now. Would it be Declan? We've, we've. Yeah, uh, look at I mean, uh, obviously, while children are in school, and I, I certainly am a person that supports the whole concept of uh, transition year to give children uh, an opportunity, maybe to look at you know possible uh, routes for employment or to you know to engage uh, with civil society and voluntary organisations. Uh, it's a hugely important, beneficial. But there is there is a cost there is a cost involved there for parents up to nine hundred euros per year. Absolutely, because to to avail or to travel uh, for work experience, uh, those those, those uh, costs have to be met uh, by the parents uh, of the children, and uh, you know all assistance in back to school, uh, as it's called clothing and footwear, it's not really towards clothing and footwear; it's towards that huge additional cost that mm. arrives on people's doorsteps. Usually now at the end of August, I suppose, the 4th of September. 
Now, before I, um, I, I'll say this quietly, but as, as government partners, perhaps we, we'll call you, can you and Fianna Fáil not put pressure on the government to sort this out? Uh, that's, uh, in essence, uh, what I'm doing here, uh, talking on your programme, and indeed have uh, been in contact with the Department uh, of Social Welfare to, uh, uh, as I would term, to get the finger out, uh, bring in the additional staff, get answering the phones and deal uh, with the people who need this money d- uh, delivered immediately. I, I think, in fairness, Carl, uh, your description of Fianna Fáil's, you know, people <laughs> are, uh, in view, in view of us, uh, we, we are party uh, to supporting uh, democracy rather uh, and, rather than part rather than partners uh, absolutely <laughs> and uh, you know we, we sometimes people lose sight of that uh, Fianna Fáil uh, uh, for 70 days tried to form a government mm. and I do think we would make a better job we have we have well I think and, and, and now, now we're heading into history lessons <laughs> we're heading into history yeah. lessons Declan <laughs> I have to ask I have to ask you one other story uh, which has caught our attention you're in the Dundalk Democrat this week talking about this the proposal that in the north Fianna Fáil might merge with with uh, the SDLP um, I, I certainly would welcome uh, such a proposal. I'm not party uh, to that discussion, uh, even though I'm a spokesperson on North South Bodies. Uh, obviously, uh, discussions, I understand, have been taking place between uh, both Fianna Fáil and SDLP at party leader level. Uh, is, that, is that why you haven't been involved in those discussions? If you're uh, yeah, I would, I would imagine that it's very important that those type of discussions are kept Case uh, uh, and maybe uh, uh, for the for, for the need to, uh, I suppose, uh, bring uh, absolute clarity. I am quite sure Michal Martin will report back to both the Fianna Fáil National Executive and indeed the Parliamentary Party on the outcome of that. Uh, let's be under absolutely no illusion here. Somebody from a border constituency, I, I continuously and constantly, and particularly uh, in the last uh, uh, period where where there is. No form of government uh, in Northern Ireland uh, continue to represent people. Uh, regardless today, of today, by the way, the North has set a world record as the uh, longest go- government area without a government in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you see uh, people like Rhys Moggs uh, telling uh, people uh, that they need to consult uh, uh, the Irish government in relation to their businesses in the North, uh, sends out a sad uh, reflection. Uh, of lack of government and but, the challenge, the challenge for Fianna Fáil uh, to to uh, set up north. I would welcome that, but I will continuously and 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 until such time as that happens, represent people both north and south. But if, are the SDL, are the SDLP not a beaten docket at this stage, Declan? Uh, yeah, they're probably the authors uh, of their own destiny. In that, they so why why would you why would you get into bed with a beaten docket? I don't think they're a beaten docker. I think they don't get the respect for the whole peace process and the delivery of that that uh, John Hume and Seamus Mallon and, 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 and uh, delivered. Uh, those who get the credit uh, seem to be those who were, were overly fond of uh, lack of democracy, uh, whereas the SDLP has always embraced that. And uh, I'm an admirer of that party and continue to be uh, both of its local public representatives and indeed uh, its national and European... But would, would, would Sinn Féin not argue that they've beaten the SDLP into oblivion at the polls? Uh, there's absolutely no question or doubt about that. Uh, but but uh, the issue of being able to deliver uh, what Sinn Féin uh, tell uh, and prop, uh, uh, in the propaganda has been far from uh, the truth in, in, in the North. Uh, we all know the deprivation of West Belfast uh, uh, and, and uh, that area uh, was represented by 
our current TD, uh, Deputy Adams, and we, we, we know that that deprivation continues up there, so they haven't delivered. Well, Deputy Adams never actually sat in Westminster. How will you feel if an SDLP Fianna Fáil allegiance gets someone elected to Westminster? Will they go? Will they take the oath of allegiance? Well, will they, will they know, take the their seat? Fra- the old phrase of putting on the glove uh, and not actually signing up to uh, allegiance, I think that day is gone. Uh, I think the day, the day of... Uh, countries working collaboratively as uh, was uh, the whole basis of uh, the European Union. Uh, I certainly would have no difficulty taking my seat uh, if, if I were an elected representative from the North, uh, particularly to deal with issues such as Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen how, how Sinn Féin, uh, despite the fact that they, they campaigned on an abstentionist uh, uh, ticket uh, when, when, when there is a need uh, to attend Westminster, particularly in the context of ensuring uh, that the disaster of Brexit doesn't happen, uh, we see we see what our loyalties really are uh, to the party as opposed to the people. Finally, Declan, can I just ask you about your reaction to the papal visit at the weekend? Um, I, I was on a short break myself, but uh, tuned in. I have to say, uh, those who uh, attended appear to have enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I personally uh, don't believe that. Uh, uh, the pontiff has uh, gone far enough, uh, and indeed, I have a series of dull questions uh, going down from the start of the new term, uh, asking where the action is. We've heard plenty of words; uh, we continue to hear plenty of words, and uh, I, I, I think it's important to commend Leo Bradker and indeed Minister uh, uh, Sapone for, for for what what they have shown a spotlight with the pontiff. But it's action we want in relation to the myriad of scandals that have bedeviled this country, uh, uh, both in the church and indeed in the institutions of the state. So uh, I certainly would be asking questions in terms of where is the action uh, post the pontiff's visit. Well, Deputy Declan Barnock, Fianna Fáil TD for Louth and East, um, Mead East, I think, isn't it? Official, to give you your uh, official title. Uh, a lot of confusion, I tend to say. Coastal Mead. Coastal Mead. <laughs> represents, obviously, Julian. We thank you. We thank you, yeah. Declan, for your time this morning. And our thanks also to Marcella Stake, a policy officer with St. Vincent de Paul. Unfortunately, Marcella's line broke down on this area, but we will be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show on LMFM. You're welcome back. Our text number, as always, 086 658. And somewhere just after 10 o'clock, Marie will be in to read your texts and comments. Lots of reaction yesterday to the papal visit, and we will later in the programme be talking to Maeve Lewis, who is Executive Director with One in Four, and she will give us their thoughts on the visit and the Pope's comments and the reaction from government, etc., since then. Now, Ronan Moore is General Election Candidate for the Social Democrats in Westmead and a secondary school teacher at St Pat's in Navan for the past 10 years. He was part of a survey team which carried out a survey in Navan Town at Lumley and Johnstown recently uh, on behalf of the Social Democrats. Ronan, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl, and maybe um, we might just correct you this uh, slightly. I'm the kind of Mead West. That Mead. doesn't do parts of East West Mead, but I, uh, half of Mead as well. I do apologise. Why we just don't Not have a, why do we just don't have a Mead constituency? Still manages to confuse me. And indeed, indeed. I think I think I live in Mead East, but perhaps I might live in Mead West. I'll have to check my uh, <laughs> my polling card the next time it comes through. Your 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 reasons for this survey, first of all, Ron. Yeah, I guess, look, as a branch, Mead West, the Social Democrats in Mead West has grown from strength to strength over the last 12 months. And I think there's a, there's a desire for ourselves to get out more to the towns and villages to find out exactly what were the issues and the concerns for people, for the constituents. 
So what we started to do is we started to roll out um, kind of uh, meet and greet sessions in villages and towns across Mead West. And Navin and Johnstown was the first of which, which we carried the last month. We had about 18 members come out. Um, we were out for a couple of hours outside Navin Shopping Centre before we moved into the estates of Atlumni and Johnstown, canvassing, meeting people and carrying out surveys to find out what the, the issues they had. And of course, the political landscape within Mead West, and never mind the fact that the, the demographic itself for the region has changed, but the political landscape has changed because there's been a huge influx over the last 10, 15 years of, of population into that area, particularly into Johnstown. So I'm sure they have different issues to perhaps it would have would have been the main thrust 20, 30 years ago in Mead election. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is true. And in fact, when we looked at our results, I guess there were kind of two streams of um, responses we got. Now, in fairness, the, the greatest response we got, um, about over 60%, like we, we spoke to about over close to 200 constituents, was that of health and housing. And that's perhaps unsurprising in the, guess, in the current context. I mean, like we're in the midst of a kind of a global economic upturn. We have close to full employment in the country. But on probably the two most important issues, that of health and housing, we seem to be setting all the wrong records. Um, and, and I guess that showed up in the, in the responses. I mean, like in health, I think we've surpassed the one million waiting list for the first time maybe in the state's history. And uh, when you consider, look, we're probably the third largest spenders in our health service, 50% of the population have private health insurance, and that people don't trust the health system at the moment. And I, unsurprisingly, that was about 30% of the responses came back. People were concerned about health. While in the issue of housing, um, homelessness was something that did come up. Um, I think, look, we're very kind people. You can see that through the amount of charitable donations per population that we give and I think for a lot of people whether it was on the doorstep in Atlumni and Johnstown or outside Navin Shopping Centre felt that you know maybe 12,000 people access an emergency accommodation every night is unacceptable in a time when nobody should be homeless in this country and maybe more specifically was that of rents um, and that was a crossover both outside again the shopping centre and particularly in the Atlumni and Johnstown area in that, and again, probably stemming from the fact that we're setting these these, these records, we've had a thirteen percent increase in our rents since last year in Midwest. Um, I think it's a ninety four percent increase since the since twenty eleven, and we're nearly twenty seven percent higher than what we were back in the Celtic Tiger. Um, so rents are going up and up. Um, we've no rental pressure zones in in Midwest at all, which I guess the Social Democrats believe is only a very small step. There should be a lot more to, to be done to protect renters' well, rights. Can, can, you work, can you work to implement that? Um, well, for ourselves, certainly. Well, we've, we've published a renters' rights um, document, and, and in an emergency that we're in, this housing crisis that we're in, what we've advocated is that we would tie um, rental increases to inflation. We also believe that there should be a register of rents, because one of the things at the moment, even in the rent pressure zones, which, as I said, we don't even have in mm-hmm. Midwest. Um, you can only go up by a certain percentage, but what we're finding um, more and more, there's a lot of landlords who are um, making decisions, and these are not just your kind of your landlords, like quite large groups, um, they're renovating property, and then once the, the tenants have to move out, and when they come back in, or not say they come back in, when new tenants come back in, arrive in, they're not aware that the rental prices have increased dramatically, more than what they should have done in the rent pressure zones. I think with a register of rents, that's another thing that could help um, to, 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 to prevent that. I think our current model of really over-relying on simply private developers to, to, to solve this issue clearly isn't working. And what we found in Johnstown, we met many people on the doorstep who, 
and, it, and it's really sad because this is a time when people are sending their children back to school. It's a time of should be of optimism and like new lunch boxes and 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 waving goodbye to your kids. But there's a lot of families who have a great amount of stress where they are afraid of their next time their 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 um, um, tenancy is, is up for renewal because they know that if it goes up another two or three hundred euro, which they'll is, be priced out because they're, they're going to be priced out. And the thing is, some of these families, while you're right in saying that some have moved out from Dublin because the rents have been too too much. And it looks like they're going to be moving out further. There's a lot of people in that area who are, who are like you could say, first, second, third generation or um, Navin, where they're the sons and grandchildren of sons and daughters and grandchildren of people in Navin who've mm. moved there, and they themselves are having to leave the communities that they grew up in. And I guess it's that kind of quality of issue which led to us. Another issue that came up was that of transport. Finally, there. finally, Ron, if I could just ask you very quickly, yeah. John Senna at Lumley, there was two things that tied together was the lack of amenities and antisocial yeah. behaviour. That is a concern for residents. It is, it is. And would you believe, like, the amount of people who would say in the same breath, they'd talk about, they might say the antisocial behaviour, but then in the same breath they would talk about the fact that there's no social amenities. Now, look, I, I don't want to use the word scandalous um, lightly, but... It, it, when you look at Johnson and Lumley and you look at the lack of services, for people who are not so familiar with this area, this is a place that has a, close to 15,000 um, residents. It's about 3,200 homes. Um, and each of these homes would have, ha- would have had to have paid like into the development levy scheme, which of course is a, 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 an amount of money that goes in towards Mead County Council. And even if you look at kind of maybe conservative estimates, each of these homes could have paid up to 2,000 into more, 2,000 plus for public infrastructure facilities, and yet they have none. There's no playgrounds, there's no youth centres, there's no community centres, there's no community CCTV. There's none of these things that um, you will expect to get from um, what you've paid into it. So, like, this, for me, I guess, and what I would probably be calling on the county council is that I would love to, I would ask them to publish how much money do they generate um, for from well, John Senna and Lumley we will, areas. And we will, we, and will, we will ask them that question for you, Ronan, and I'm sure yeah, people in Lumley and Johnson will welcome that. So, Ronan Moore, General Election Candidate for the Social Democrats in the West, thank you so much for your time this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cottle Dervin. Coming up now, we are going to look at the presidential election and the candidates who presented themselves to Meath County Council yesterday. And I'm delighted to welcome into studio our senior reporter, Casey O'Reardon. Casey, good morning to you. Good morning, Cottle. You had a very interesting day in Navin yesterday um, where you sat through eight different presidential candidates, was it? Yes, I suppose you could call it interesting. Yeah, we heard from eight different candidates over the course of the day. And I could think it's fair to say there was a kind of a wide variety of candidates. I mean, we had people from all walks of life. Obviously, Gavin Duffy's a businessman, but then we, we heard from like a farmer and a journalist and, and even a Marilyn Monroe impersonator and Trump supporter. Now, sorry, can we just clarify who offered to dress up as Marilyn Monroe? Because I'm looking I'm looking, wondering, was it Jimmy Smith or Gavin Duffy or Kevin Sharkey? No, that would no. be a <laughs> um, That would be Sarah Louise Mulligan, uh, quite the character, yes. She was asked about um, previous uh, reports that she was willing to as President of Ireland, welcome Trump um, to Ireland dressed as Marilyn Monroe. So there you go. That's quite an interesting <laughs> statement for somebody to make in front of Meath County Council. But that was the light-hearted side. I mean, there was a that serious was the So I suppose we'll well. start off with, with Jimmy Smith, who's from NAV, and he kind of had this overall message that he wants to put the power in the hands of citizens in relation to how the countries run. And I think it'd be right to say that he feels the state values the rich and powerful over others in society. He also, he also suggested that he would vote for Michael D. Higgins and that he hopes Michael Lexi stays on as president. Yeah, he did. And I know 
know he'd said that previously as well, but then he kind of dismissed that comment as flippant when he was challenged on it. People came back to him. There's a, there was a question kind of portion of, of each candidate's um, uh, pitch and he was questioned about whether he was serious or not, given that he had said that, you know, oh, I think Michael G's great and I hope he wins. Mm. And then he kind of, you know, said, oh, that was just a flippant remark. So he, he, he did kind of uh, pedal back on that. And you have a clip for us on what... Jimmy Smith, ex-Bogey Boys, by the way, would, yes, would do well, if he was present. Yes, he's, he he spoke about how he wanted to um, introduce Article 47 and 48 from the Constitution to be written into law. So we just have him explaining that, I suppose. These articles dictate that if an elected representative is shown by both parliamentary process and popular vote to be doing an objectively bad job, then they are to be dismissed from office at a moment's notice, thus giving the average voter a greater deal of pain until the saving the average voter a greater deal of pain until the next election, as well as going some way to repairing the fractured political system in this country. Now, that was Jimmy Smith, of course, and... Uh Gavin Duffy is the other local candidate, so to speak, in all of this. And I've already heard Tom Kelly today saying that he felt that Gavin Duffy got the support of the councillors. First of all, was it a full attendance of councillors over the course of the day? Uh, No, I wouldn't say it was full. I would say there was about, I counted 26 individuals um, from memory, but that definitely fluctuated Mm. over the day. I would say that, okay, Jimmy Smith went first and then Gavin Duffy, and there was definitely the highest attendance Mm. there. And we took a break immediately after Gavin Duffy. All politics being local, of course. That's that's part of that. But you could see definitely councillors were most excited about Gavin Duffy. In my Mm. opinion, they got pictures with him and he seemed to, he definitely seemed to have a bit of support. Was Was there a bit of selfie culture going on? There was a bit of selfie culture going on. Mm. Um, I definitely, I even tweeted a picture from the LMF and the count of a couple <laughs> of councillors with their arms around him. So yeah, he definitely had support and and to be honest, you could tell he was a bit of a seasoned professional at this. He knew how to pitch. I mean, he stood up and spoke to the crowd with kind of no notes in front mm. of him when, when others would have sat and had notes and kind of just felt like they were reading. Um, so I suppose he kind of outlined five pillars that he wanted to build his presidency on youth, age, diversity, inclusion, respect and working together. And one of the things he had kind of proposed was that this um, youth pillar that he would bring in, this international youth corps where young adults would have the opportunity to volunteer locally and then abroad. So he, he definitely kind of painted a real positive uh, an uplifting picture. And, and and he's putting his money where his mouth is. He is, yes. And that was in the... He Explain, ca- explain that to us. So he, he kind of seemed to make a point of saying that he was... Um, remortgaging his home in order to fund this campaign um, and he said that he had the support of his wife in relation to this and that she kind of had no no problem with this this is how much he he believed in himself and he further clarified in the independent then this morning that um he had got uh, you know approval for a 750,000 euro loan um, but he'd yet to draw it down so you know i suppose it does prove that he's he's quite serious mm. about this and and then he he empathized with councillor's struggle being that he's from the kind of loudmead area and their concerns over Brexit and he he kind of said that they could uh, work on that challenge together if elected. And this is what Gavin said. I understand the border and the challenges uh, that that we face uh, and certainly um, I feel the longer term aspiration is with the agreement of all the people on this island uh, that we would uh, remove that border for for once and for all. Unfortunately with Brexit Come the 30th of March next year, it, it, it may be back. And that's a challenge we'll all have to work together uh, to, to try to resolve. 
Now, again, a local connection uh, in, in a roundabout sort of way with Senator Joan Freeman because she brought up, the, the, or somebody brought up with her, the subject of close psychiatric beds in Our Ladies in Navan. And this is a subject that's very much close to Joan's heart. Yeah, mental health would kind of be Joan's life work. And so she did speak a bit about that in Pieta House. And uh, Fianna Fáil's Tommy Riley put it to her that there are 25 psychiatric beds in Our Ladies that are, that are closed. Um, so we kind of asked her what she would do about that. If the president came down to, to me and went and visited the psychiatric unit that you're talking about, it would be scandalous and it would force the HSC to do something about it. This is why I want to be president. And that was Senator Joan Freeman. How did that reaction? Yeah, I think it was it was well received. And then she kind of went on to say that she would plan to visit every county in Ireland and that she wanted to be the president that listened to the needs and then planned and, and, and you know, took action. So... Kevin Sharkey, uh, one of the things, uh, and we'll get a clip from Kevin in a second, he wants his presidency to be an inspiration to young people and he's a former TV uh, presenter for children's programmes uh, going back again many years ago. But he wasn't impressed with the empty chairs in the council chamber. Yeah, as I, he was kind of, you know, later in the afternoon and it definitely had thinned out and he kind of did comment on how he was saddened by the empty chairs in the room and kind of questioned whether the councillors that hadn't bothered to show up or had left really cared about democracy um, if or if they were being told that, you know, you have to vote such a way so they felt there was no need to be there. So that was just something that he kind of had reflected on and was did kind of anybody, concerned about. Did any of them offer a response? I mean, I'm presuming some of them had to go to work, etc. Yeah, that would be a very fair comment. I spoke to a couple of councillors that told me they couldn't make it. They have a council meeting as well next week. So, no, nobody really kind of um, challenged him on that. In fact, many councillors said they were pleasantly surprised. They had um, kind of previous uh, notions of mm. him from from the media. And, and you know, I remember Sharon Tolan saying that he had surprised her and that she kind of, you know, was, was I suppose, learned not to judge mm. a book by its cover in that way. You know, he spoke very passionately about his life and the struggles he'd been through. And, you know, he, he wants a president that would inspire young people because of the struggles he went through as a young Correct. person. And we, we have a clip of Kevin. And I think for the young people in Ireland, if we want to engage in with this process, and we need to, because otherwise it's going to slip by and they'll be, they won't be interested in it. And I think we have to look, no disrespect to Michael Day, but I think we have to look at a, the possibility of a younger president, somebody who is a, a citizen of Ireland rather than an elite member of any group and rather than uh, aligned to any political group. Now, two potential candidates, uh, Casey, who wouldn't be that well known in this area. John Groke, first of all. Yeah, so John is actually from Escommon and he's a farmer. And to be, to, unfortunately, I don't think he was taken very seriously by councillors. Mm. He he was in and out very quick. He gave a brief speech um, where he didn't really outline a whole a massive amount. And I, th- I kind of felt like councillors were humouring him. They thanked mm. him for his time, but really nothing concrete there. Patrick Feeney. Patrick Feeney. Uh, Patrick was a, a funny one in that he kind of gave a pitch as if he was running for local elections. He had visited Meath and had picked out everything he thought could be improved or wrong with the country and kind of brought it to the table but I think he missed the mark in that you know know your audience he, it's he, almost he, a tourist guide was it it's yeah like he said things like you know he felt that the east coast of Meath you know wasn't being um, uh, wasn't being advertised well enough and that he wanted a footbridge over the Boyne here and there and kind mm. of these are all these are all issues not for the president but for local uh, local councillors who he was pitching to so yes. it was almost a bit like a you'd insulting. imagine they know that already <laughs> yeah I don't think they took kindly to now, it too much Sarah Louise Mulligan this is the girl who wants to dress up as Marilyn Monroe with yes, uh, Donald Trump. My, my favourite. Was there a serious side to her? You know what? 
there was a serious side to her. You know, she did speak about a few different issues, um, but she definitely brought some some colour to the day. I suppose she stated very openly that she was pro-life and she linked the, her belief of linking abortion to the cost of childcare and spoke in, in support of the Granny Grant. I propose to work with the government on the logistics of grandparents' pay for childminding, which has already been in the process. This may take the burden of parenthood for women who can't afford the overcosting of private crash pricing. Every woman who finds themselves pregnant should rejoice and enjoy their pregnancies without the fear of poverty. As you can all tell by all I say here today, I'm pro-life and I'm proud. And I can safely say that this is one of the main reasons why I chose to support President Trump over Hillary Clinton. Quite controversial. She's supporting President Trump. Not only that, she runs a website called Irish Who Support President Trump dot com. That's mm. her another kind of one of her quirks. Yes. And and as well as you mentioned earlier on, (laughs) you know, she she had previously stated that if she was elected as she's a Marilyn Monroe impersonator, she would like to welcome Trump to Ireland. So Councillor Jerry O'Connor kind of asked if that was serious or not. And this is what she said. I would love to welcome President Trump uh, to Oris on Nukderon. You see, at the end of the day, right, politics can't always be serious. Politics can't always be serious. Gemma O'Doherty is a very serious journalist. She was. And how did she come across? She came across very well. She was a bit of a surprise on the day. She wasn't down on, I suppose... Because initially it was seven down, wasn't it? Yeah, was there was. Eight. And she kind of made a bit of comment about that. But, you know, they, they assured her it was just an administrative error. But, you know, we were all happy to hear from her. Um, I suppose she's a very well-known journalist who covered a lot of corruption stories. And unsurprisingly, that's where she wants her campaign to focus on anti-corruption. I suppose the reason I have decided to run is that I think there is a very strong sense in our country at the moment... Um, that corruption has been allowed to thrive. People feel it on the ground. Um, We can pretend that it's not happening, but I believe it is now rampant and widespread. Um, And I also believe that because of the levels of corruption in the state at the moment, that taxpayers' money is being squandered. And that was Gemma O'Doherty. We're going to come to Casey again after the news headlines. We'll be back after this break. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. 086 1800 658. If you have a text on the presidential election, Casey O'Reardon, our senior reporter, is still in studio with us. And we've been joined by Marie Cairns with your comments, and we'll come to those in a second. But, Casey, your overall impression of yesterday was it a success, do you think? Yeah, well, I think so. It kind of seems like a bit of a formality in that, you know, they have to give people the right, I suppose, to um, pitch uh, the, the regular Joe Soaps, if you will, like John Gork. But really, it just felt like, you know, Gavin Duffy was going to get this nomination and that was the end of it. Everyone seemed very supportive of him and the rest kind of were just being humoured is really what I took away from it. But, you know, I suppose it's something that has to be done in the name of fairness. Jerry O'Connor from the County Council, uh, our representative on Mead County Council for Fine Gael, joins us on the line. Jerry, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Carl. How are you? Did you feel yesterday was just the coronation of Gavin Duffy? No, I think it was, I mean, as, as, as the eighth candidates that we saw, I, I would think there was uh, at least three or four serious uh, candidates who would have gained uh, some support there by doing their presentations. 
Like Gavin was very good, I and mean, he knew the role of, of, of and the powers that the president would have, and he outlined what he would do and his five pillars. So I thought he was very informative. Some of the other some of the other uh, people making their pitches uh, were really. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't think you really understood the role of a president, to be quite honest. Um, and they were anti-government, anti-establishment, anti-this, anti-that. But I think I think they missed the, the point of that the head of state has to work with the government, uh, you know, uh, and not against the government. You know, he's there to represent the citizens, he's the first citizen of the country. But he has to ex- accept too that through a democratically elected parliament, that the, the members of that parliament have been elected by the country also. So. There was a bit of a conflict in, in a few of them, and I did question uh, two or three of them in relation to how they squared that circle. Uh, because if, to me, it was important. Our head of state, we have to, we have, to have a seamless government and a head of state working together, especially post-Brexit. How would you feel if the head of state dresses Marilyn Monroe to welcome President Trump to Ireland? Well, to be honest, I, I, I wasn't expecting the answer I gave a call on that, because I'd seen the, the news report. I'd done my research on the different candidates. And I, I felt that, you know, she had mentioned Trump, she had mentioned Marilyn Monroe, she had mentioned uh, her birthday, it happened to be her birthday yesterday. And I, I threw it out to her, I, I said, look, you know, in the era of fake news, I, I've read this about you, can you confirm it? And I was absolutely gobsmacked. And I actually, I, I interrupted her and said, like, this is the first citizen, the head of the state, what about the dignity of the office? Uh, and I just couldn't understand that. I, I, she lost any credibility with me at that stage. I think Casey... Yeah, I've done a good pitch. Casey is, is with us in studio. Casey, this is an entertainer. She is an entertainer, but I think Jerry's right in that, you know, he wasn't the only one to say she lost credibility. Sarah Riley kind of chimed in and said, listen, you know, you kind of had me very interested. And then when you said the likes of in welcoming Trump with open arms, dresses Marilyn Monroe, she says, you just fell mm. off a cliff then. So, you know, I think that everyone felt that in the room, definitely. The consensus I, I gathered this morning, Jerry, and, and I was listening to Tom Kelly earlier, would, the consensus certainly seemed to be that, that Gavin Duffy was going to get the vote. Do you guys have a free vote in this? 
it's a tricky one. Uh, we had an instruction or request from from from, uh, from uh, New York's office in, uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, which I communicate and the whip for Fine Gael of the 13 councillors on Mead County Council. And it was basically along the lines that, that he would prefer if we didn't nominate him second. Because Fine, no, Fine Gael are, are, are voting for Michael have, D. Higgins. Have, exactly, at, at national level. And I, I, I was quite happy with that. It still allowed the councillors to, to exercise the democratic uh, right to vote for who they want to vote. Uh, that changed yesterday when we got a, a direction from the, the headquarters. Uh, and it puts me in a bit of a dilemma as, 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 as whip. Because I need the 13 councils to work together as a unit. We've got important votes coming up in relation to local property tax, in relation to putting budgets through and what what have you. Uh, and we work as a team. And I've never had to really put the whip in place because we always discuss it and debate it beforehand. Now, unfortunately, because of the, the, the prior message from, from Neo's office, I communicated that with my councillors. And some of them have already made the decision that they're going to support Gavin Duffy and other, and other candidates. And they've already given a commitment. So this was so, a directive issued weeks ago. But then it wasn't a directive, it was a suggestion. A suggestion, you know, OK. Yes. And then what happened exactly yesterday? We got an email yesterday telling us that... Uh, at, at, at what time, Jerry? Uh, I'm just trying to look at here, Carl. Uh, I don't have the time. Mm. It was in the afternoon. It was yesterday afternoon, anyway. So by this stage, you'd already heard We'd from already, several of the potential candidates. Yeah, people had gotten their photographs taken with Gavin Duffy, as, as Casey mentioned there. Mm. Uh, and people hadn't, had made commitments. And a number of councils over the last number of weeks have come to me and said, listen, is it OK to do that? And based on the original... Uh, instructions. I said, of course it is. Yeah, because it's important. It's, what's good for the country nationally or what's good for Fine Gael nationally is not necessarily good for Fine Gael locally. Uh, Gavin is a local candidate. He's very, very active in the, in the community. And some councils wanted to vote for him. So I have, I have no difficulty with that. The problem I have is that if I put the whip in place, uh, then those councils are breaking the party rules and they would be probably expelled from the party. Now, I need those numbers to get budgets across, so I've made a decision myself that I am not, I'm not going to put the whip in place. Uh, was, they were, was this, they was this email an, an absolute directive that you guys, as Fine Gael councillors, were not to support any other candidate? It, it's, it's, it's a letter reminding us that as a consequence of, of the decision made by the parliamentary party and the national executive, they'd be requesting that no Fine Gael councillor or Fine Gael council group nominates a candidate in opposition to Michael D. Higgins. So why did you get this directive on the day that you were meeting candidates? And Are, are they suddenly worried that Michael D. isn't going to win this election? I, I've no idea. I mean, the reality is, this, this vote that will happen on, on Monday, the 3rd, uh, where we'll be selecting, giving somebody a nomination from outside to contest the presidential election, has nothing to do with Michael D. Higgins. There is going to be an election anyway, because we know... Well, it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it has just been confirmed, Jerry, that the election will take place on Friday the 26th of October yeah. and that nominations will remain open until the 26th of September. Uh, Owen Murphy, the Minister, has confirmed that this morning. So the election will take place on the 26th and the well, nominations will close. definitely going to be an election. And, and, and one of the ways to get onto the ticket, on the ballot paper, is to get four councils to support them. So if, so if four Fine Gael councillors support Gavin Duffy or any of the other candidates, they face expulsion or you're going to take the heat? I'm going to take the heat on this one, Carl. Uh, if, if, if we lose one out of a group and we still have enough numbers to get budgets through and to get local property tax decisions through. Uh, so if, if, if there's going to be any consequence out of this, I'll take the heat on it. So you, as the 13th member, will take the heat and leave the 12 free to do their own thing? Yeah, and I don't know what the heat is going to be. And to be honest, uh, I, I would hope 
that people would be reasonable and, and understand the predicament that we're in at this late stage. Have, have you made representations yet to Fianna Fáil, or Fianna Gael uh, headquarters? Sorry? I contacted the, the General Secretary last night and I'm waiting for a response. And nothing as yet? No, nothing as yet. How do you think your fellow Fianna Gael councillors will react to that? I think we, we, we will uh, show, uh, we'll stick together as we always do. Uh, I think I think as a group we work very well as a group. Uh, a number of at least five of the group have indicated they're going to support uh, another uh, Gavin Duffy, yeah. I'd say. Uh, and uh, I think we stick together as a group. Were you disappointed with the email, Jerry? I was I was surprised at it because it came, I only got to read it uh, in the afternoon when we were already through six candidates. Marie Cairns is in studio. Marie, your reaction to this? I'm just wondering, Jerry, is it a national directive? Have all whips throughout the country got this? Uh, not only all whips, all councils have got it. It's to my understanding. Okay, so and it came as a complete surprise, as Gav, as as Cahill has mentioned. And it, it didn't. It, it hasn't been well received because uh, I'm involved with a group of about a hundred and odd uh, councils throughout the country. Yeah, see, you get councils. And of course, Jerry, the, the presidential candidates, uh, the the wannabe presidential candidates, are now touring the country looking for nominations. Well, they are, yeah, yeah. And there's enough counties for them for, for at least two or three of them to get on to the, the ballot paper. Casey, did you get a sense yesterday that some of the Fine Gael councils were going to support Gavin Duffy? Oh, absolutely. And some some have declared, as Jerry has said. And, I mean, and definitely after he gave his speech and there was that kind of 10 minute recess, everyone was kind of, there was a few that jumped up to get a picture with Gavin Duffy and, and were very, you know, everyone shaking his hand. And there was definitely, a, a, to me, I felt that he had a massive amount of support in the room. I th- thought it was an, that was inevitable. So, Jerry, the, the vote is next Monday, I believe, in Meath County Council. Yeah, once they have the presidential order signed, uh, it'll, it'll be an agenda item uh, on, on Monday's meeting. So we'll, be getting our, we'll be getting our agenda today, but I confirmed with, with the corporate services yesterday that it would be irrespective of whether it was issued or not. Because if it, if it hadn't been issued before we had our meeting, we'd have had to have a special meeting. So we put it on the agenda so, anyway. And do you now intend to talk to your fellow Fine Gael councillors in the coming days over this? Yeah, well, we meet as a group uh, the Wednesday prior to a council meeting. So mm. we have a meeting for tomorrow night and we'll be discussing this and a number of other issues. But I'm sure this is going to be high in the agenda. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and Jerry, I'm just wondering now that the race has been declared officially, if you like, what about Sean Gallagher? Will he get a chance now to speak to councillors or has he missed out on that chance? No, he still has a chance. He has a chance at the window. Uh, uh, the window's there. It's, 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 it's up to the end of the month, 26th of September or something like that. He has time to get four councillors. I'm talking to some of my Fianna Fáil colleagues Yesterday, they feel that if he threw his hat in the ring, he'd have no difficulty getting four counts. But if you're voting on Monday, he's run out of time to meet meet Meath County Council, hasn't he? He has. But he could still be proposed uh, by the Fianna Fáil group on Monday. So the fact he he doesn't have to speak to you? No, he didn't last time. uh, And he got the nomination for Meath County Council. Did you get the sense that Gavin Duffy was was a, a winner yesterday? I think he's a serious contender, uh, and I, th- I think post Brexit, uh, he, he brings a different set of, uh, of, of skills. Uh, he's very, very uh, well spoken. Uh, he knows his business. He's got a long uh, career, uh, and I, I think he would. He's, he's, he's a he's a decent uh, candidate, and I think it makes it interesting. Jerry O'Connor, Fine Gael Councillor on Meath County Council. Thank you for that revelation this morning and for sharing the news with us, Casey O'Reardon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for that resume. And uh, 
I look forward to the day Donald Trump arrives in Ireland uh, in a, and is greeted by Marilyn Monroe. Marie's going to be back with comments. I will indeed because we've run out of time but mm. I will be in later on in the show so get the comments into me in and between sure now and 11 o'clock. Even the Marilyn Monroe ones will be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show and as always we thank you for listening in this morning. I'm Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun filling in for Michael this week. As you will have heard uh, just before the break there the presidential election has been confirmed for Friday the 26th of October and nominations will close on the September the 26th exactly a month before the election. Minister Owen Murphy has confirmed that this morning. You will also have heard on the news headlines that a clear majority of Irish people believe that Pope Francis did not go far enough when he addressed the issue of child sex abuse in the Catholic Church on his visit to Ireland last week. An opinion poll for the Irish Times has said that 55% of respondents felt the Pope did not go far enough, while just under a third agreed he had gone far enough, with 14% saying they had no opinion. One group who has certainly been critical in a press release today of the Pope's reaction and his speech at Dublin Castle in particular is one in four, and their executive director Maeve Lewis joins us this morning. Maeve, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. Your reaction, first of all, in, in general terms to the papal visit? Look, I think the Pope has left an impression in Ireland um, of a man who is very warm, um, very compassionate, and he certainly showed that he was willing to listen to the experience of the survivors. Um, and he appears to have expressed a really genuine remorse for... Um, the sexual abuse that has taken place and indeed the other abuses including uh, Magdalene Laundries and the mother and baby homes and so on. On the other hand, um, I feel very strongly a sense of disappointment, a sense of a missed opportunity in that the Pope, while he apologised, did not apologise on behalf of the Vatican, um, which is interesting, but neither did he put in place or mention any concrete actions that he, as Pope, intends to take to finally root out the evil of child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Did you get the impression, Maeve, that he, he, he became more informed as the as the visit went on and that his, his tone and his, his forgiveness plea gathered strength and momentum as the visit went on because initially on Saturday we didn't hear the words we didn't hear the word sorrow sorry really at any stage but on Saturday it was quite muted and then as the weekend developed and and he appeared to get more and more information because for example he said he wasn't that aware of the of the Magdalene laundries or he wasn't that aware of the mother mother and baby's home in Tume. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we really need to commend our Taoiseach, Leah Radker, who gave what I felt was a superb speech on Saturday and where he absolutely acknowledged the role of the state in all the various abuses and cover-ups, uh, but also named the Catholic Church very firmly. And in comparison, the speech given by Pope Francis after that really seemed very lacklustre and, and lacking in substance. Um, although he did, again, issue an apology at that point. He met the eight survivors representing the groups, both uh, survivors of child sexual abuse, the mother and baby homes, the Magdalene laundries, the institutions, on Saturday evening. And that seems to have had a profound effect on him. And that meeting was scheduled to be for 40 minutes and lasted an hour and a half. It lasted an hour and a half. And I mean, speaking to um, some people who attended that meeting, he, he, the Pope listened, um, he gave people as much time as they needed and he appeared particularly shocked, uh, for example, when some of the mother and baby home survivors um, talked about the fact that women had been told it would be a mortal sin to try mm. and find their children and 
he also seemed to be quite unaware, really, of the mother and baby homes and, indeed, the Magdalene laundries, although there's been some controversy about that. Um, Archbishop Martin, for example, said that he told him this in May, didn't he? Yes, um, but, he, you know, he, he seemed he genuinely did listen to those survivors, and I think then on Sunday he went even further in the depth of his apologies, but, Cahill, he still did not give one solid indication of what changes he proposes to put in place in the Catholic Church and he didn't comment at all on the calls of the survivors he met and also of um, other survivors and indeed organisations like One in Four naming exactly what should happen and I think that is, as I said, a missed opportunity. We spoke, Maeve, yesterday in this programme to John Kelly from the Survivors of Clerical Abuse and, and John's point was that he wants to see justice and, and, and there is still no indication from the Catholic Church that they will be willing partners in, in, in that justice. Well, um, I mean, you know, justice in terms, I mean, justice takes many forms. Um, it takes the form of criminal prosecutions. But unfortunately, so many of the allegations um, are quite historic. They, the abuse has taken place 20, 30, 40 years ago. They are notoriously difficult to prosecute through the criminal justice system because it's impossible almost to meet the high bar of proof that's required for a criminal conviction. Justice also means redress, and the Irish state did put in place a significant redress scheme for survivors of the institutions, um, and to date are still waiting for many of the Catholic congregations to meet their promises and their obligations financially in, in, um, in contributing to that scheme. There is, as yet, um, no proper redress scheme in place for the Magdalene women, and indeed now the question of redress for the survivors of the mother and baby homes. And um, I note that our Minister for Children, Catherine Zapone, has called yesterday on the Pope um, to contribute, to make funding available to support that redress scheme, and that indeed would be um, an action that would be very welcomed. She has also presented a very detailed dossier to the pontiff, hasn't she? She has, and he has promised to read it very mm. carefully, and we can only hope that that, that is the case. The Vatican, um, we also had the controversy which has risen in America this week and a call for the Pope to resign. I mean, the Vatican's reaction to this, and, and, and you issued a statement on Saturday where you, you said that, you know, they, they've said that they it, it, it will need um, a culture change, but they've known about this for some time, haven't they? Oh, I mean, my heart sank when the Vatican spokesperson, Greg Burke, on Saturday said that um, this required a culture change and that would take time. I mean, the Church have been aware of the allegations of sexual abuse and have been utterly complicit by the Church, I mean the Vatican, in the cover-ups that have taken place all over the world since at least the 1980s. So, I mean, how long does it take to effect a cultural change and how many more children are going to be sexually abused, particularly in the developing world? I mean, I think, uh, for example, the Archdiocese of Dublin is probably one of the safest places in the world at present to be a Catholic child because there is an Archbishop who has put in place a really rigorous child safeguarding uh, policy. That is not the case in the global world, and it is the moral responsibility of the Pope to model perhaps what has been put in place in Dublin, but also to introduce mandatory reporting to the civil authorities across the world. That is not taking place, as we've seen in the scandal in Chile and indeed in the recently published Pennsylvania report. Why do you think that is? Uh, why, why is the Vatican not taking real action on this? Look, I think that culture of 
avoiding scandal of cover up is still there, not necessarily in the person of Pope Francis, but <coughs> excuse me, within the Curia. And um you know I mean I think this is a really um a pivotal point for the Catholic Church because if they don't introduce mandatory reporting if they don't release all the documents they are sitting on in the archives in the Vatican about allegations from all over the world, what is going to happen is that diocese by diocese, there will be statutory inquiries, as we had in Ireland, or, for example, in the case of the Grand Jury in Pennsylvania, and it will be found in every single diocese that the same pattern pertained, that uh, children were placed at risk in order to protect the reputation of the Church, and that, in the end, will fundamentally undermine the Catholic Church worldwide. And Catholicism. And Catholicism, or perhaps that a new type of Catholicism will emerge grounded much more in the laity, uh, who certainly were not complicit in the sexual abuse and the cover-up that has taken place. And you would have to say that over the weekend, the support for the papal visit wasn't that huge amongst the population, if you compare it, say, back to 1979. No, it was completely different. Now, in fairness, there was quite a low turnout in the Phoenix Park, but I suspect... That was as a result of two things. One, that people bought tickets and then realised they'd have to walk eight or ten kilometres to get there. And if they were elderly, realised they wouldn't be able to do that. And the weather was absolutely atrocious on Sunday morning when people would have been setting off on their journey. So that may have been part of of the reason too. But by contrast, I was at the Stand for Truth event um, at the Garden of Remembrance in Dublin on Sunday where thousands of people, way beyond the expectations of the organisers, turned up. And what really struck me was that they were in the main young people, but say under 40. Um, there were a lot of parents there with young children and it was not a protest. It was a solidarity event to stand with the survivors um, and show, show our support for them. And it was a very moving and emotional event, which ended by walking down to the last Magdalen Laundry, which closed um, in the 1990s, down in John McDermott Street. So very emotional and very spiritual, if I may say that. Um, they, they were very much the young people of Ireland that the previous Pope visit uh, had referred to. Yes, exactly. What would you like to see happen next, Maeve? I really hope the Pope goes, is back in Rome and that he is reflecting on what he learned during his, his visit. Uh, I hope he has the authority, which is in doubt, um, to really insist on mandatory reporting across the Catholic world on the release of the archive of allegations that is held by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to every jurisdiction in the world, and um, that the commission he set up has recommended to him, the Commission for the Protection of Minors, on which our own Mary Collins served and resigned in frustration, uh, that that commission had recommended that uh, a tribunal of some sort be established to um, investigate and dismiss any bishop, cardinal or church leader who was found to act to shield and protect uh, sex offenders. The Pope has said that's not possible. Um, the Curia said that's not possible. But until senior church people know that they will be held accountable for actions in placing children in harm's way, well then perhaps nothing will really change. Maeve Lewis, Executive Director with One and Four, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, we'll, Good morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. You're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. 086 1800 658 is our text number. Marie will be into me before the end of the show with your comments and texts on the various issues, including the presidential election candidates making their proposal to Meath County Council and the latest on the reaction to the Pope's visit at the weekend. One guarantee at this time of the year when the schools go back to 
work for teachers and back to school for students is that traffic will increase and many people are now looking at alternative means to commute. In the Dunchalkland, Dunboyne, Ashburn, Rathoth area, the introduction of the railway line back into Dublin when it was reintroduced in 2010 was a most welcome addition but now proposals in Dunboyne to reintroduce the car parking charges as of next Monday have uh, resulted in a lot of local anger. Councillor Damien O'Reilly is a Fianna Fáil councillor on Meath County Council and a man who knows all about this subject. Damien, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. Thanks for having me on the show. Give us an idea, first of all, Damien, about why the charges were dropped four years ago and perhaps uh, the reaction to why they're going to be reintroduced next week. I suppose, just back to the history of the station, uh, £100 million was spent on the extension from uh, Clonsilla to Dunboyne to M3 Parkway. And that reopened in 2010. Sorry, and that, this was the line that was dug up in the 1960s? Yeah, the dug up and reopened then in 2010. And passenger levels were steady enough. And obviously then, Dunboyne train station, compared to M3 Parkway, was totally empty. And this went on and on, and there were charges there. And everyone was driving out of the town every morning, adding to their commute to fill M3 Parkway, and that you had this brand new station, which was effectively becoming a cost station, part of a hundred million spend, and uh, not being utilised. So back in, back to around uh, March 2014, I t- touched base with the management of Irish Rail. They looked at the figures and agreed everything I was saying was correct. That the station wasn't being utilised. Everyone, it was clear to see every local person was getting in their car this mor- in the mornings, driving out the town, out the ring road. The M3 Parkway, which is ideally located for the people at Dunshockton and Rathout, and just people coming as far as Cavan, Virginia, Cavan Town, right down the M3 from Kells into that station. So effectively, if charges come back in, I've been uh, people landed out to the car, their cars there Friday evening. There was leaflets dropped around saying, "Please are back in since September the third. My phone hasn't stopped. Social media hasn't stopped." And everyone in the village is saying and they're going to just head back out to M3 Parkway and Dunboyne Station will become a ghost station again. And no. the effect, the knock-on effect of that is more traffic going out towards M3 Parkway, towards Pace. And obviously anyone coming from Dunshockland, Rathole to Ashbourne, coming down the M3, they're going to have longer queues getting in and their commute's going to be even longer. And if you look at the area as well, you're looking at an area that has the highest mortgages in the county, the highest childcare costs, and now they're being landed with this. Like, it's ludicrous. Barry Kenny is the Corporate Communications Manager with Ianrod Aaron. Barry, good morning to you. Morning, Carl. Can I ask you, Barry, first of all, do you know what we're talking about in terms of the proximity of Dunboyne to M3 Parkway? Oh, absolutely, yeah, in terms of the, the, the launch, as well as M3 Parkway. Uh, was always was a, a little bit of an outlier in that because it's directly beyond the toll. Uh, a part of the planning uh, for the line uh, was committed that we wouldn't introduce uh, car parking charges there. What's uh, the toll got to do with it, Barry? Which is the people that come through the toll, and then directly afterwards, there's a there's a, a major motorway connected uh, park and ride. So that was okay, part. You of don't the you don't have to go through the toll, by the way. You can go the old road. Right. But that, Sorry, I, I should I should point out, Barry. I use M3 Parkway quite a bit. So right. Great. Okay. Exactly so there, there is a wider catchment area that does have to go through the toll as well. So, um, but the that was part of the planning. But Dunboyne, when it opened in 2010, like all of our commuter stations. Uh, had parking charges. I think the line overall probably had a fairly slow start 
uh, in the initial years. It has grown now. We are seeing uh, good uptake. We're seeing good uptake of the, of the station, both from commuters, it has to be said, and, and non-commuters uh, in terms of the, the parking facilities. And I say, when we did it in 2014, it was very clear that it was something that we would be doing, uh, I suppose, on a temporary and a, tri- and a trial basis uh, to encourage growth uh, in demand. Uh, has it not worked? We've done that. Well, it has helped. There's been one factor that's helped, but other factors have helped as well. Obviously, the growth in employment uh, and the growth in the economy uh, has helped as well. I think the the competing modes, it is, there's a lot of congestion there. So what was intended to be something temporary has been there for four years. Uh, and in terms of Dunboyne, we are just bringing it back to uh, the the norm. For but people, people ask, so Barry, why are you bringing it back to the norm? Because it is a standard approach that we have to major car parks and network. If you're listening in Drogheda, in Dundalk, in Laytown, in Gormanston, we have parking charges in all of those stations as well. We're bringing the standard fee there. So if you're a regular commuter, if you're travelling every day, that's a €30 euro a month. So it's a euro a day parking charge that applies. If you're irregular, if you're only the odd time, it's €3.50. Um, and as I say, it'll, it'll commence again from next Monday. Barry, how do you as an organisation balance the view that we're trying to encourage people to use public transport, we're trying to take people off the roads, we're trying to improve the lifestyle of many people who are now being pushed out towards Dunshockland, Rathout, Ashburn, Dunboyne because of high property prices in Dublin, because there's huge growth in employment in that area. So how do you marry the fact that you're asking people to pay for the train and you're also asking people now in Dunboyne to pay for their car? Well, actually, if you're arguing for sustainability, that's exactly the right thing to do. I mean, we have, and we have this in other car parks uh, around our network when we, I mean, it's 10 years or a little bit more since we first introduced uh, car parking charges around the network. And what we actually found was that you have people, and I used to be guilty of this myself when I, when I lived in Maynooth, uh, who live within a kind of a, you know, five to 10 minute walk of a station who were driving and using car parking spaces. Uh, so they would walk or cycle instead to the station freeing up space for people from a wider catchment area. So that is actually, uh, if you like, good practice. I would say compared internationally with parking charges at stations, ours remain very low. We haven't increased that monthly parking rate since we introduced car parking charges in 2008. And uh, it is, if you like, structured uh, to have the lowest charge for people who are travelling regularly with us and for the occasional users, to say, to pay €3.50 a day. Damien, how would you respond to Barry? Uh, obviously, I totally disagree with him. Uh, prior to free parking coming into Dunboyne, there were 15 to 20 cars using a 300-space brand-new car park, which is part of a 100 million build. And obviously, the total success, and your figures are there, Barry, and you can see them since free parking has come in, the usage through Dunboyne station has gone through the roof. And now, effectively, your proposal is turning Dunboyne back into a ghost station and sending more traffic out the road to the congested pace roundabout. Like, it's absolute lunacy. And on top of that, then, the Bus Connect's uh, proposal to downgrade the 70 and 270 and send Dunboyne commuters, which they openly say will extend the commute time for Dunboyne commuters on the bus, Dunboyne and Clonmel commuters on the bus into the city centre by this new proposal of sending people, commuters up every morning who have to change at Blanchardstown. We're already on a, just say, a 12 kilometre quality bus corridor that's taking them an hour and a, up to an hour and a half every morning to get in and out of town. And like, you have to wonder, where is the quality of life anymore with proposals like this? Barry, can just, I, can just, I... Just one important point. Majority of people who use Dunboyne Station don't drive there. 
majority of people walk or cycle as, as it is. So the idea that Dunboyne is going to be a ghost station uh, it simply doesn't uh, bear scrutiny. Barry, I, I, as I said to you, Barry, sorry, sorry excuse me, Damien. Barry, can I just point out to you, I do travel the line and the car park at Dunboyne is increasingly busier. Yep. So so not everybody is walking and not everybody is cycling. And the station, by the way, isn't on top of the town, it's out over the bridge. Yep, so, so can I just ask you, do you accept that this is going to drive traffic back out to M3 Parkway? I think there's a likelihood that possibly some people will choose that. We feel, however, that some of that growth that we've seen will be from people within a catchment area who've now seen the value of the service and will use other means to go directly to Dunboyne Station. And we'll keep this under review. I mean, we're not, you know what I mean, we don't cast things in stone. I think the fact that we removed the parking charges in 2014 shows that, shows that we do actually review the evidence. So if, if people vote with their happened. cars rather than their feet in yeah. this instance, you will we'll, come back to this? Well, look, we'll, we'll keep it under, under review, Carl, but I say I, I, I think the idea that Dunboyne is going to be a, a ghost station, all we're seeing is growth. All we're seeing is growth along the line. I mean, and ultimately you do actually get to a situation where you need to be able to, to, to free up some of that car parking capacity from people who are within walkable distances and it happens a lot I can assure you that Can I ask you how the Navin line is doing? Um, as in the investment <laughs> beyond uh, M3 yes. it's, it's not um, and for, for, for Navin listeners uh, it isn't included uh, in the funding from the government in the 2018 to 2027 National Development Plan the government have committed that I think it's by 2021 they will do a further study to see uh, if it can be funded beyond that I can tell you the results of that study now due to the National Plan and Framework you'll never see a train in Navin so um, there's no point doing this. Well, they can always go the old line over to Drahad and down. Our thanks to but, uh, Damien O'Reilly. No, like Jamie, to we have to go. Thank you very much. That's Damien O'Reilly, Fianna Fáil Councillor on Meath County Council and Barry Kenny, who is the Corporate Communications Manager with Aaron Rod Aaron. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you are welcome back to the Michael Reed Show, 086 1800 658. Now, joining us in studio for a weekly look at the local crime scene, etc., is Sergeant Ronan Farley from Navin. Good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. Dundalk robbery Sunday evening to begin with. Yes, Carl, this occurred in Dundalk on Sunday night at half past ten. A filling station on the Castletown Road was the subject of a robbery. A male entered the premises. He was carrying a large kitchen knife. Uh, He threatened the staff. He forced them to empty the contents of the tills and he filled a shopping bag. He left the scene. He ran straight across the road into Ashling Park and vanished. Now, the culprit is described as tall. He was slim. Uh, He had a Dublin accent. He was wearing a grey Nike hoodie with the hood up. He had grey Adidas tracksuit bottoms and his face was covered with a multicoloured scarf. And the shopping bag he was carrying had the words New York City written on it. So hopefully that will jog somebody's memory. Somebody they might may be have able seen him on a road or yes. around the area. So we'd appreciate, Dundalk Ardy would appreciate a call if you can assist with that investigation. Now, a burglary at a pub in Carlingford on Thursday last week. Yes, this happened overnight. Um, the early hours of Thursday, so from midnight on Wednesday the 23rd, uh, sometime between midnight and 8am the following morning, a pub in Newry Street was broken into and uh, there was extensive damage caused to the premises. The entire premises was, was ransacked and uh, three small safes were taken from the premises. And um, a blue Audi A3 was observed in the area. Now, we believe this vehicle is connected with the incident. Uh, when the number plates were checked, it transpired that the vehicle was bearing false registration plates. Uh, the plates were actually uh, stolen from a vehicle in Bally Bay on the 22nd of August. 
So we'd appeal to anybody in the Carlingford area if they can recall any suspicious or unusual activity or maybe they recall that blue Audi A3 A3. in the area to contact Carlingford Garda Station. Now, a couple of tool thefts from vans in the area. That's right. The first one occurred in Dunboyne last Monday, yesterday week, um, at uh, between 2pm and 2.15pm in Dunboyne Village um, at a construction site. Uh, the owner of a van was returning to the van. He disturbed a culprit taking tools from his van. The culprit fled the scene and got into a silver-coloured car. He took a Bosch Kango hammer and a, a still consaw. Now, the Kango hammer had carry construction engraved on the side. Uh, so Dunboy and Gardy are investigating that one. And a similar um, incident in Kells? Yes, Cahill. The one in Kells occurred last Tuesday, this day last week, between 10.50am and 1pm. A van was broken into at Talrat Lane in Kells. large number of builders' tools were taken. Nail guns, drills, angle grinders, battery packs and so on. Um, now, there was a, a vehicle acting suspiciously in the area at the time, a silver Peugeot van. And again, that vehicle had false plates on it. So we're appealing to anybody who can assist with that investigation to contact Kells Garda Station. It's one of the, the side effects, unfortunately, of the, the return to building. The, the boom, that's correct. Now, having said that, um, Cahill, we had a good capture up in County Cavan last weekend. A lot of tools were recovered. Uh, a person was charged and is before the courts. And we're trying to identify if some of those tools were taken from this mm. area. So we would remind tradespersons to engrave their tools or put some sort of a marking on them. It helps trace them when they are recovered. And vigilance. Yes. Now, a burglary in Drada. Yes, this occurred um, This occurred overnight last Monday night into Tuesday morning. The Little Duke premises, uh, it's a theatre there in Duke Street, a well-known premises, was broken into a lot of damage caused to the premises and a laptop computer was taken and a set of speakers. So we're appealing to anybody who might have information on that uh, to contact Drada Garda Station. And presumably the contents of that laptop were fairly unique. Well, I'm not aware what the contents were. <laughs> Probably something to do with the theatre, you would imagine. Electric Picnic is big in the news at the moment. Yes, Cahill, Electric Picnic starts this Friday, from Friday to Sunday. Um, it's a sold-out uh, event. However, there are fake tickets on sale on the internet. Um, these are print-at-home tickets. Now, the print-at-home ticket format has not been used for Electric Picnic. So if you see these online, they're fake. Don't buy them. Don't be caught out. Um, as I say, the event is sold out. There's a lot of people still looking for tickets, so they might be tempted. Our advice is do not buy from any unauthorised or unknown source. Just be very careful about that. So people are pretending that they have tickets for sale. They pr- print them out. You meet them. They hand you out a printout. And well, you, can, you, you don't have over. to meet anybody. You can buy them online, print them out at home. Sadly, when you get to Electric Picnic, you won't get in because and they're fake. in many cases, these are hundreds of euros. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Could yes, be. 300 plus. Sergeant Ronan Farley, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, Cahill. Garda Confidential Line? 1-800-666-1. So 1-800-666-1 if you have information on any of those crimes that have been committed in the area of late or indeed information of any interest to the Garda, please do give them a ring. Now, Marie is back with your comments and responses to the text line. Lots of comments this morning, Marie. Sure are, Cal, and a good few coming in already in relation to that exclusive we had there from uh, Councillor Jerry O'Connor regarding the directive from Fine Gael, uh, head office in relation to the presidential um, election. We had a, a text in from uh, local councillor Sharon Kyogen, who's an independent mm-hmm. councillor, and she says this is a total cop-out by local Fine Gael, a disgrace 
uh, to local democracy. Uh, Declan phoned in and Declan says he thinks it's very peculiar that this is happening now. Why is the directive only being given now when initially they were asked not to propose or second a candidate? And as Jerry explained to us, there was a suggestion made some weeks ago that councillors could feel free to vote. Oh, no, no, that was the case. That was the case. And now on the day that Meath County Council meet eight candidates, potential candidates as it was, a directive is issued by email. Yes, and I have that a copy of that email just for those because I know there will be people interested in it and it says, Dear Councillor, I would like to advise you of the decision of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party and Executive Council regarding Fine Gael's participation in the forthcoming presidential election. Both bodies, one of which councillors are represented on, have decided that the party would support the candidacy of President Michael D. Higgins. The party is committed to supporting his re-election unconditionally. On a number of previous occasions, the party has put political uh, partisanship to one side and has supported either an incumbent or an agreed presidential candidate. We are requesting that councillors, in considering the matter of presidential nominations, take into account the party's position and as as a consequence, neither propose or support other candidates. So that's the key. Uh, so we already have Finnegan candidates in this area who have backed Gavin Duffy. For we example. have, and, and Sharon Tolan, local councillor, is one that springs to mind. Mm. So look, I'm sure we are going to be hearing plenty more on this now that the, um, the election has been uh, officially declared as well. Exactly. Uh, we had some comments, um, not surprisingly, really, uh, Cahill, in relation to the delays in processing the mm. back-to-school allowances. We had a call from Bernadette from Delique and Bernadette is involved in St. Vincent de Paul locally and she says that she wants to fully reiterate what was said on the programme this morning. That's correct. She says we have had the same requests and she says it's just a huge issue at the moment especially she says children that need to have, you know instead of books, a lot of Mm. of schools now um, know that they're they're using like the computers and and the iPads and she says like the iPads are a a huge financial burden. It could be 300 to 600 euro you're talking about and she says the back to school allowance and you touched on that it really is only a drop in the ocean Mm. uh, says Bernadette and she says that we see it all the time and she says we feel sorry for the children especially because many of them feel isolated when they don't have what they need going back to school and she says at a local level a lot of parents are borrowing. Unfortunately, some are going the route of loan sharks, which they don't recommend. Uh, others, are, you know, are going to financial institutions. They have to borrow. They've, they've no way out of it. And she says they're also aware of families that are going without food and are going without maybe the children might do swimming once a week, but they're they're cancelling mm. that because they don't have the money. The money has to go into back to school. And she says it's very, very real on the ground here in this area. I'm a member for over 10 years and the situation is definitely getting worse. It's not getting better. As Marcel explained to us, they had 5,000 calls this time last year. Already this year, they're up to 6,000 and that number is increasing. And that's concerned parents just looking for help from the Vincent the Ball. Mary says, Cahill, I'm depressed listening about those families struggling with back to school costs. One big change has to start with letting major stores supply uniforms and the ridiculous cost of the school crest. Well, Mary, this has been going on for years. 
uh, unfortunately some schools just are very rigid mm. on it and she says rented books is a joke uh, it was around when my children went to school 30 years ago and I don't know what area this was a text so I don't mm-hmm. know what she means by that because in a lot of schools the rental schemes are fantastic and they've been a godsend and they have been mm. a godsend I know in some schools they don't go the whole way through which would be unfortunate because often at senior level if it's not available that's the it's highest cost expensive. it's the big books at that stage that's the show finishing I think Carl we- Marie thank you so much 086 658 if you have a text and we will of course come back to your text and your because I've lots more where they are they and, came from. Uh, I'm sure there's a reaction to the papal visit as well, but we will yes. we will return to all those subjects tomorrow. My thanks to Marie, my thanks to Maggie and Chris. Sinead will be along in a few minutes with the mid morning show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 